Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Nebraska Hawks Nest. I am joined here by the founder, the godfather himself of HawkeyeNation.com, John Miller. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm well. That opening was great. And you know what? The best things in life are borrowed. I'm going to be doing that for my new venture uh, as opposed to a countdown clock. That's (laughs) what I'm going to do, a highlight reel. So thank you for the idea. Hey, if you need somebody to help you out, I know uh, one of Jerry's relatives from Nebraska Hawks has put that together for us. So uh, he did a pretty good job. I'm sure he'd be more than willing to help out with something like yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll, I'll uh, be hitting you up after the show. Uh, heck yeah. All right. Well, we'll hook you up, John. Um, wanted to start out with, um, you know, give you maybe some compliments here. I don't know how comfortable you're going to be with this, but you're definitely one of the founding fathers of this whole, you know, social media deal with Hawkeye, Hawkeye Nation and everything that went on with that. Um, and Hawkeye Nation has blown up to be one of the biggest social media outlets uh, for the Hawkeyes today. Can you tell us how the, the infancy of that, how that got started, uh, where that idea came from, and a little bit about your journey, how sure. it's grown over the years. Yeah. So when I was 13 back in 1984, uh, I told my dad that when I grew up, I was going to be the voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes. I've known what I've wanted to do and be for a long time. And uh, because I realized that the MBA was an unlikely uh, route for me as a career. So I went to college at Southern Illinois uh, University in Carbondale as my family had moved from West Branch, where I grew up, over to the Peoria, Illinois area in uh, March of my junior year of high school. And SIU had a really good television and radio broadcasting school. So I went there, got the degree in radio and television broadcasting. Um, worked at an NBC TV affiliate in Peoria, Illinois in 1994 before I realized I don't want to work in local television because the hours for me were not going to be conducive to someday having a family. So I got out of that. Um, now we're in the 94, 95, 96, got into energy, moved to Kansas City. And then around 98, 99, the internet really started to grow. Uh, it wasn't a thing really all that much commercially, widely commercially in 96, 97, but it started to really 
pick up some steam in the late 1990s. And in 1999, the summer, I started to email my thoughts and opinions on Hawkeye Athletics to my family and friends, and they started to forward it to their family and friends. And within six months, I had a 5,000-person email distribution list back when email was really just getting going. And when I started doing the Miller Time newsletter, which was what that was, the term blog had not even been invented yet. So you, if there's such a thing as an OG blogger, sports blogger, I'm in that group of people because the term didn't exist before I started doing it. I didn't invent it, but I'm one of the old timers. So from there, um, Rivals.com version 1.0, uh, a, co- a corporation in the late 90s that had $100 million worth of venture capital behind them found me asked me if I would do what I was doing in my email distro for them, said, this is great. They paid me a grand a month. I thought, righteous, this is fantastic. And uh, so I was selling propane at that time and blogging about the Hawkeyes. And I really wanted to blog about the Hawkeyes and not do the propane thing. And then uh, in 2000, um, the dot-com crash happened. And in November of 2000, shortly after the October crash, I'm like, you know, what? I think things are going to get a little dicey with this network. I'm going to go ahead and go buy a URL and maybe go out on my own one day. And I was listening to a lot of Jim Rome at the time, who was really starting to develop a, a footprint outside of his native California. And he always talked, you know, Raider Nation. JT the Brick was a big caller on his show talking about Raider Nation. I'm like, I'm going to get Hawkeye Nation. So in November of 2000, I reserved HawkeyeNation.com. And on April 14th of 2001, I started HawkeyeNation.com. And from there, it was um, basically I bought a cooler that had a handle and wheels. And I would go print off a 1,000 copies. One page had the Iowa football roster. The back page had, please come visit Hawkeye Nation or something like that. And I would literally pull that around the parking lots at Kinnick at five and six in the morning on home games in 2001 to spread. I was out kissing babies and shaking hands. And from there, it just grew and grew and grew. All right. Well, that, I mean, that's super interesting. I didn't realize that you had put that, that different aspect into it. Uh, tell us about your family life um, while doing that. Uh, I'm sure that probably took a ton of time. Was it a difficult thing balancing uh, family life and being married with getting everything really up and off the ground? Well, I think with that, I mean, I'm sure looking back on it, there were times, well, there've been numerous times where my wife's not been as thrilled because typically it always seems like Sunday night you're having dinner together. And that's when kids commit to the football program Mm -hmm. because they're either just getting on an airplane to go back home after their visits or they've gotten home from their visits and they make those announcements on Sunday nights. So I remember one time being in Kansas City at a pizza shop and get a phone, get a text from someone and say, Hey, someone's going to commit and I got to go home and write about it. So yeah, there's that. But you know, probably no different than most people who are entrepreneurs and have their own company. If you are an entrepreneur and you have your own business, which is what I've always viewed my career in blogging as, you do what you've got to do when you have to do it. That's it. It's, there's no getting around it. And, you know, over time you as a spouse, husband and wife or partner, whatever you learn how to live in that relationship based upon 
the demands on it from making the living. So yeah, it wasn't easy. Um, but you learn how to do it and there's never been a vacation I've ever taken in my adult and married life. Now, nearly 23 years of marriage that I haven't worked, but mm-hmm. when work is something you love and I love my energy, uh, I'm, I'm a partner in my own energy company. And now I've started hawkeyepodcast.com and I've got a couple partners in that. Um, when, when you love what you do, it's not work. Tell us about HawkeyePodcast.com. That's something, like you said, a newer venture. Uh, I've heard a little bit of buzz uh, going on about that. Tell us what you have going on with there. So I retired uh, after the Holiday Bowl in 2019 um, from HawkeyeNation.com. I had sold that business to uh, some friends of mine back in 2013 when I moved from Des Moines to Oklahoma to get back into the energy industry. But I kept writing for the website for a number of years. And I just felt like I needed to focus that season of life in 2020, focus on my energy company uh, with no other real distractions. So I, I logged off, if you will, uh, resigned from Hawkeye Nation. I wasn't on Twitter for a couple of months. Then the pandemic hit in March of, you know, about a year ago right now. About a year ago right now is when I started to tweet again. I didn't tweet in January or February during that very fun basketball season, and it darn near killed me to not be interacting with people. And then I'm like, I want to interact with people because I can't go anywhere. So I got on Twitter. And then as the summer went on and started to think about this basketball season that I knew we would have, I'm like, I can't not be a part of this, not just John Miller getting a show again or doing that. That's not, I can't not be a part of this being around the Hawkeye fans because that's been my entire life. I was a Hawkeye fan before I was a, a Hawkeye nation. And I remain someone that wants Iowa to win every single game they play, but I am critical when I need to be. And um, I just felt like I, I want to get back into this. So in October, of late October of 2020, just a few months ago, I said, Hey, I'm going to come back and do this. I'm going to do it on Patreon. I I can't, I'm not going to have message boards. It's not going to be anything like it used to be because I just, I, I, I only have so much time and I can't take away from my priority, which is my energy company. And, um, and it, it grew had an old buddy of mine that I used to work with at WHO Radio uh, in Des Moines back when I was a sports director there. He has started his own advertising agency, and he's like, "Hey, do you will you take ads on your Patreon page?" And I said, "Not really. You know, there's only a few hundred people. It's kind of a fun time. It's not really a good reach." Anyway, we then talked a couple of weeks later about what if I took something free and made a free site, made the podcast free. Um, I said, "I'm never doing message boards again." And I'm not doing comments on stories ever again. Um, and okay, that's fine. So then I thought about Mark Morehouse for the Cedar Rapids Gazette, who also resigned from his post with the Gazette in October, which I had no idea about. Called up Mark. I said, what do you think, Mark? How about we do something together? And after a few days, he said, sure, let's do it. So me and Mark and John Liebels, the person who used to work for WHO, who now has his own ad agency, we launched HawkeyePodcast.com on March 4th, uh, very recently, um, and we're going to have podcasts. We do live instant reaction videos after the games. Uh, there's going to be written commentaries, no message boards, no comment sections. It's just going to be us writing and talking and allowing fans to interact with us on the YouTube live 
youtube.com slash Hawkeye podcast. That's there. So it's, it's, it's a stripped down version and a, this is what I really like about what I've done version and not including the things I no longer like about what I used to do version. I kind of get the feeling from talking to you that you uh, were a little burned out on the message boards aspect of it. Now, at times, I had gotten onto those message boards, and I'm sure you're well aware of how toxic they can become. Um, I uh, started to feel like my my fandom was being very, very negative, especially during the time of the 4-8 and eight season. And when Kirk had some of those struggles, it got to be something that was very toxic. Walk us through a little bit of the trials and tribulations of the message boards and maybe some of the craziest things you saw on there. So I started to hang out on message boards in 1996. And at that time, the Big Ten had their own message board. Big10.org had their own fan forums. Each school had its own message board. And let me tell you, I have not been around a Wild West as wild as that was because there was no moderation. It was just left alone, and it got crazy. And the Iowa board, I kind of was a very frequent poster on there, um, and um, so I dabbled in there. And then I didn't come back around to it till 98, and I'd moved to Denver. And my, so I just finally got a, a, a new handle called Denver Hawk. If some of you are are like – old school and you remember that you are on the first first uh, seat of the bus and we would battle with the Illini uh, fans it was crazy and it, it just got into my bloodstream I loved it I loved the debate I loved the sport of debate um, and I kind of tried not to do that anymore because I think there's too much of that in the world today but that's where I started with the message boards and and then um, back in like 2000 or 2001, Iowa lost a late season game to Wisconsin in basketball, and I'd had enough of the negativity. And I pushed a button that shut the message boards down. For the, I went out with my friends, and I didn't want the message boards to run amok. And that there's a, I took a lot of heat for that. When Iowa hired Kirk Ferentz during that process – I was, uh, you know, had been built up superhawkeye.com. We had, I had to create an, sorry, I'm getting on the edge of my chair here because I'm getting fired up. I had to create, <laughs> I had to create an additional message board so that I could pigeonhole the Bullsby sucks. He should have fired Bob Stoops questions and comments that were flooding the boards after Kirk Ferentz was named head coach. So it was crazy enough that I had to make a whole separate message board just so I could pigeonhole that so that it didn't take over the primary football board. And man, there, there, there were people that, um, you know, you do this a long enough time and you talk in textual format. People sometimes can take you the wrong way when you didn't mean to be a jerk or you meant to be a jerk and it sounds like you were a jerk. So along the way, I'd picked up a few people that didn't care for me and uh, banned a bunch of people. There was one time in 2012-ish where I banned about 15 or 20 people that were just causing what I felt was a disruption on the message boards. They went and started their own message board that was like, a you know, Hawkeye Nation Wasteland is what they called it. And it was pretty, it was pretty bad. They said some pretty <laughs> bad things. 
I think it's funny now. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And I went there for about a year and it really started to get under my skin. In about 2013, 2014, I made a decision. I'm never going to search my name again to see what people are saying about me on the internet. For one, it's kind of egotistical and and arrogant to do that, which I did. And I was, um, I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. And, um, that was really, I began to stop taking myself as seriously as I used to do. And right now, as I approach the age of 50, you can say whatever you want to say about me. I really don't care and I'm not looking for it and I'm probably not going to see it. So knock yourself out. That's a pretty freeing feeling though, to not give a crap just to let go and be like, Hey, I don't really care. You know, it's, it's the best it's, feeling. I wish I would have gotten there at the age of 40, you know? Yeah, I, um, you know, and, and that's going to piss people off too. You know, I feel like we're at around age of 34, 35. I finally was like, I've spent way too much of my life really caring about, what people that don't matter think. And right. once you do it, once you're able to free yourself of that, that's such a weight lifted off your shoulders that it's undescribable if you, if you haven't done it before. But I think that's a super healthy approach right. Right. on, on how to handle that. But I remember those, those message boards, I had to get off of those because I mean, I, you know, you get wrapped up in that stuff and you know, you, it become you, it, you make yourself a, not as good version of yourself, a negative version of yourself. Right. And and think if that's your daily office, think of how you carry that home. I mean, I just got to the point where like I'm done. And the the last several years that where I was at Hawkeye nation, I probably went to the message boards less than once a month. And, um, you know, other people that I was working with had the unfortunate task of monitoring those. And I'm like, I'm, I'm so, um, I'm not going to be associated with message boards again. And that's not, I'm not like saying I'm better than people that enjoy message boards. If you enjoy message boards, that's great. I've been there, done that, wrote the book yeah, and I'm out. There's some people out there that you can tell have a lot of their self-worth built into their presence on some of those boards. Uh, but, uh, Really wanted to ask you too about um, back in I believe it was 2015 ish. Um, you had um, made a, a comment around that time about um, Co- Coach Ferentz, how you felt like things had kind of passed him by, and then uh, and I got to be 2014. honest, fourteen, fourteen. Okay, yeah. sorry, we went year off, and uh, I, I got to be honest, I've been a real big idiot that I would have said that in 2015. That's true. That's true. So in 14, which I'm going to be honest with you from, you know, a couple of years before that, I was right there with you. I was very vocal about it. I thought it was time for a change and, and time for us to move on. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hold your feet to the fire on anything on that because I feel, I feel like most Hawkeye fans felt that way. But, you know, later on you came out when, which you didn't have to do and said, Hey, I was wrong. You know, I was wrong about this, which 
I had to swallow my pride and say I was wrong too. I was calling for the hashtag fire fire too. Um, can you walk walk us through a little bit about that process? Um, your thoughts on you know making that statement, which a lot of us did, and then you know really having the character to you know stand up and say, hey, I think you know I was wrong. Well, one of the things that I learned a long time ago, and I feel it's important, and I just did that again recently, two weeks ago, is if you're wrong and you are in the public eye as I have, you know, when I say public eye, we're talking, I'm not like some mega star or, or even a small star. Come on, John. Pe- pe- people are aware of me in certain circles. And if you if you make a living giving opinions, you darn well better be tough skinned enough to say and admit when you're wrong. Now in 2014, because recently I just did it because I said that when Jordan Bohannon came out of high school, I didn't think he was a big 10 caliber guard. Good thing. I don't make a living evaluating talent, but in 2014, um, Kirk was in a uh, weird place. Um, uh, And you could tell in the interviews, um, he had less patience he had less tolerance. Um, and, and I wouldn't really care for suffering media for all the years that he has either. It would get uh, annoying. But that year, something seemed different. And I had also just from Des Moines to Oklahoma. And I think at the subconscious level for sure, but maybe even close to the conscious level, I felt like I needed to show people that I could still um, matter uh, to Iowa internet circles living in Oklahoma since I no longer lived in Des Moines. So I became a little more barbed. I became a little more blunt, a little more, um, not, not toxic's not the word, but much stronger opinions. I might have been more muted in my opinions earlier or criticisms, but I certainly used different terminology to say the same things. And looking back on that year, I don't regret having dissenting opinions relative to the direction of the Iowa football program. I regret how I expressed myself. I expressed myself unfairly um, that lacked dignity or class. And that was not uh, reciprocal of respect towards Kirk, the way that Kirk had always shown me respect in my career. I haven't talked to Kirk privately since then. I wrote him a letter. Um, I was actually going to send it to him at the start of the 2015 season, but I failed to do that. I sent it to him after the 2015 season. So probably in the back of his mind, he's probably saying, yeah, thanks for the letter after we go 12 and 0. And he would have every right to do that. But I really intended to do it when I saw Zach Johnson win the British Open that summer before Iowa went undefeated. And I saw Zach, how classy he was in accepting the Claret Jug. And that, that's how Zach always lives his life. And it struck me in that moment, John, you were an a-hole last year in how you expressed your opinions. Not that I would change my criticism but I would change how I did it because it was unfair. And then come to find out a year later in early 2016, what the Ferences were going through personally in 2014. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, 
I felt horrible. Well, no wonder Kirk was maybe behaving somewhat differently, somewhat less patiently because, you know, his granddaughter was fighting for her life and would die. And I mean, all the pain that was involved with Brian's um, and loss of their, their child. And uh, yeah, man, that, that had a, an effect on me after the fact that still resonates that I'm still reminded of. And I will always remember is that when you come across someone who is acting in a way you don't like, or just someone that looks like they're having a bad day, maybe they're having a bad day and I can control my attitude. I can control how I deliver my messages. doesn't mean I'm not going to be critical of Kirk in the future. If there's need to be critical, I will be. It just means I won't be a jerk about it because that's really the only regret that I have my entire career online. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, and you know the important part is that we look back and we grow on those type of things. Because you know, I, I was nowhere near in the spotlight that you you were at that time, but I was very vocal and critical about about Kirk and very hard on him on social media. And you know, you look back and you see those interviews that when he talks about his granddaughter and the emotions that he has, you see him in the locker room after games, after you know some wins like Wisconsin this year, where he shows that emotion. And, you know, it's hard not to love the guy and hard not to be emotionally involved with him, too, and really want to see a guy that's, you know, that genuine. You want we want to see him succeed. No doubt you do. And it's difficult for me. It has been for the majority of my time doing this. And Kirk was hired at Iowa about the same time that I started blogging and, right, you know, I was doing it a little before he got hired. Um, So, yeah, so I've been around. He's been around. It's difficult for me to be objective when talking about Kirk because of the respect that I have for him. 2014, notwithstanding, that was more of a me thing than a Kirk thing. Kirk, by the way, the next year hired a consulting company to help him um, plan out how to communicate better with the media. So Kirk did recognize that he needed some help in that area too. Like I recognized that I needed uh, to chill out in some areas of my life um, as well. But yeah, it's um, that, yeah, that, 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 that time, that time, uh, that time I think is something I will lean on for as long as I, as I do this. I think that's a really mature, well, you know, well-rounded way to, to take a look at that. And, you know, a lot of people just turn a blind eye to things like that in their life and they don't choose to grow from it. So um, I, I think that's awesome that you, you were able to own that and say, Hey, you know, I can be better. I should be better. And, you know, we, if more people did that, we'd probably be a lot more level-headed individuals in life. Uh, wanted to talk to you too, a little bit about more about the football program, about where you feel like um, they I really feel like with recruiting and uh, where the team is going right now, it seems like we're on an upward trajectory. What do you see for Iowa football over the next two years from uh, what you've seen in regards to recruiting and to players we have coming back and, and results over the last couple of years? Where do you feel like the ceiling for this program is? And do you think it's a, a legitimate expectation 
to expect a Big Ten championship because it's been quite a while since we've been able to get one. I think it's a legitimate expectation to make it to the Big Ten championship game uh, over the course of the next five years. I think the recruiting, as you mentioned, this past recruiting class is probably their highest rated class since the 2005 class. That 2005 class probably only had a 50% retention rate when all was said and done. Hopefully this class does a little better than that. But this this was a phenomenal class, an incredible offensive line class, and that's going to pay dividends two to three years down the road. Iowa's cumulative recruiting class rankings the last several years combined is one of the highest that it's been in a very long time. Will this program continue to develop players the way that it developed players from the start of the Kirk Ferentz era through the end of the Chris Doyle era remains to be seen. I think that they probably will be able to do that. Um, so yeah, I have high expectations and I think relative to their peers in the Big Ten West, I, I think you're looking at still at the same cast of characters, Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, Minnesota flash a little bit, not sure that they have the long legs to do that. And we all know that, um, Scott Frost and Nebraska are all hat and no cattle. So don't worry about them too much relative to winning a Big Ten championship because, frankly, they have not been able to make advances in the areas that you need to make advances to win in this division, and that is at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and I know that they boasted a great deal when Frost came back and the the strength coach and connections to the old 90s history. They're still a team that's getting punched in the mouth at the line of scrimmage on a daily basis by everyone in this division. So they're a long ways away. Yeah, well, you know, every single year when you live in Nebraska like I do, and hence all of us Nebraska Hawks Nest, uh, I they always think they're a year away. They're a recruit away. They're, you know, very close. So uh, definitely not a fan base that's super uh, realistic about expectations. But, you know, there's a lot of those out there. Um, wanted to talk to you as well about uh, Kirk's succession plan. We, as fans, always hear that uh, Brian Ferentz is going to be the next head coach. And then with the things that kind of transpired over the summer, there's been some backtracking on that. Well, that's probably not going to happen now. What are your thoughts on where you see Kirk's career heading? And in a transition, do you feel like that it's going to be a situation where they're going to try to put Brian in that head coaching role? Or do you, in your opinion, do you feel like that they're probably going to look outside the program? One year ago, um, heck, 10 months ago, I would have probably said two to one odds that Brian would be the next coach. Now, I don't see that as happening, given a lot of what was, what came out and what was bandied about this past summer um, relative to the, to the concerns of, you know, unfair treatment and, play, uh, you know, African-American players feeling like they couldn't be themselves within the Ultimately, that led to Chris Doyle's firing. Uh, that's really what happened. And um, Kirk Ferentz, we all saw and heard or read his public statements relative to the many former black players that took to Twitter, including James Daniels, who is as highly respected in that program as anyone that has gone through it. James kind of started the ball rolling, if you will, and the number of former players 
um, came on and came out and, and talked about. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner their feelings their emotions do i think some of those players uh were maybe jumping on a train and took some uh poetic liberties relative to what actually transpired yes but do i think the majority of them uh yeah i think there was plenty of fact plenty of meat on the table there's too many people that had similar stories that there couldn't be a, a very large segment of truth behind them. And I am white. I've never been the minority. I'm a male. I've never been in that minority. And, you know, I didn't come from a lot of money, but I had two parents. And I mean, I absolutely have lived a very privileged life relative to a number of people in the world. So, Far be it from me to tell someone or have an opinion uh, representing somebody, some creed, some race, some group that I'm not a part of and I've never felt or walked a mile in their shoes. So I think that Kirk did the best he could this summer. I think everything he said was genuine. Uh, I think that Chris Doyle was absolutely his right-hand man. And no, I don't think that Kirk knew every single thing that went on in the program, but I think he was certainly aware of it. And I think the militant style that that program was um, run under certainly endorsed, if not promoted by Kirk. Now, as for Chris Doyle's specific treatment, bullying, things of that nature, you know, I would don't think Kirk had a, a handbook that Chris just followed. Kirk Ferentz is a macro manager and he hires competent people to take care of certain things and delegate certain areas. I think Doyle probably went too far. And when you recall back and remember the number of voices that spoke out, I think that's why Chris Doyle ultimately lost his job. What are your thoughts on what transpired with Urban Meyer trying to be, bring Coach Doyle into the Jacksonville Jaguars? Um, imme- the immediate backlash on, you know, channels like ESPN and Fox Sports and uh, local, you know, national radio outlets really condemning the hire. Um, and then you have some backlash from former players too, saying, you know, can the guy move on with his life and and get another job? What are your thoughts on how that all transpired? I think I, you know say to Urban Meyer, this ain't college. This is the NFL now. And you don't have the control that you do when you're a college head coach. Matter of fact, that as much as anything, that is a perfect example of how much control that college football coaches have. It's not that way in the NFL. Urban Meyer just found that out the painful way. So that was a very big misstep by Urban. Chris Doyle's resignation wasn't even seven months old. And you do that and ask for the, the voices of some former players saying, well, shouldn't Doyle be to go on and live his life? 
they're certainly entitled to that opinion, but it's not even been a year since all that transpired. And I would say to everybody, read the room. Yeah, that that's a good point. Do you feel like Coach Doyle was given enough of a forum to be able to explain himself and t- and say his side of the story uh, from everything that it, that it transpired? He's got a Twitter account and he could have called a press conference and every media outlet in the state of Iowa would have been at his house. Um, so then that, you know, begs the question, why didn't he do that? My guess is, is because that was probably a part of a, a settlement agreement, you know, from an Occam's razor, this thing. Yeah. Um, but he had, you know, he has platforms. He could have called a press conference and he could have gotten his side out, if you will, in addition to the statement that he did release on Twitter that I think was um, an ill-crafted statement and very ham-fisted. And again, uh, an improper reading of the room and the climate at the time. And a little bit of the reason that he got into the situation that he's in to begin with, um, just not able to get a proper reading of the room, like you said, and not maybe the appropriate response at the appropriate time. Um, Want to go to think a, of the, think, think of this for a second. Think if you um, walk up on a Pride Alliance and there's one lion who's the head of the pack, as is the way with pack animals in nature. And s- that lion's taking care of business. Everyone knows their order in the pecking order and it's beneath the main lion. Think if you remove the lion's teeth and you remove the lion's claws when he's sleeping, he might wake up and feel that his teeth are gone, but that lion's not going to realize until he gets in a scrap that he no longer has teeth or he no longer has fangs. And those other lions in the pride aren't going to realize that the king boss lion doesn't have teeth or fangs until he gets in a scrap. But once they realize that he doesn't have teeth or fangs, things are a little bit different. And I think when Chris released that statement, he had not yet registered that he'd been declawed and defanged. And you're right. That seemed a little representative of the type of total control, uh, that world that he had been operating under for two decades. I like that analogy. That explains it perfectly. Uh, that's no, that's really well said. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of former players about this, as I'm sure you have, and everybody just wants to, to grow from it, to move on, to see everybody be happy and, and be better for it. And, and I think especially as seriously as Kirk has taken all this, it really seems like, you know, it's gonna be, uh, the program's going to be better off for it. We're going to be in a better position for it. And, you know, looking at the program over the years, it seemed like we might've had a little too much of a buttoned up approach, not enough of a, you know, laid back, let the guys be themselves type of approach. Do you feel like that those changes are going to be a really big uh, positive impact on the program? I mean, I think it's a positive impact culturally and socially because the current players talked about how much, how they could feel like they could be themselves within the locker room. And that's a good thing to, to, to go and operate in a, in a setting where you can't be yourself is not a good thing. So as to whether or not that loosening of the reins is going to translate into more wins on the field, I don't know, but even if it doesn't, you can't go back and clamp down the way that things were that, you know, genie is out of the bottle. Um, so we'll see, 
you know, we'll see. I, I saw some former players early on when Iowa was 0-2 and they had a ton of penalties against Purdue and Northwestern. Um, I think it was actually – I'm not just going to go ahead and not name names. And I, I like uh, these guys on the uh, Washed Up Walk-Ons podcast, Tyler Kluver, uh, Drake Kulik, and uh, Ryan Ward. They were like, yeah, this is to be expected because the discipline's not there. Something along those lines you can go back okay. and listen for yourself. Well, then they won six in a row. I, too, was concerned when they went 0-2 that Kirk had lost the locker room and bad things were about to happen. But then they won six in a row. There weren't mass transfers out of the program. The players in the program still clearly and dearly love Kirk Ferentz. And Iowa lost maybe one commitment out of their class, given everything that went down. And given the climate of the world last summer, that's about as bad of a situation as you could have from a public relations standpoint, but there weren't mass transfers. There weren't mass defections from the recruiting class. We'll see how these next recruiting classes look, but COVID I think right now has more to do with how small the numbers are than anything else, because it's similar for many programs. How surprised were you when we had that recruiting class and all of this transpired and as the summer went on into fall and we really held on to one of the best recruiting classes we've had under the Kirk Barron's era? Because I know that as fans, a lot of people were like, all right, here we go. You know, these guys are going to decommit. They're going to be out of here and we're going to drop down the recruiting charts. How surprised were you that we were able to hold on to all those guys? I was thinking, man, this is a good time not to have a website. Um, yeah, I was. I was I was surprised. I was surprised that they were able to do that, that they were able to keep so many of these players, that they were able to keep so many of the players in the program. Yes, there were some players that left, but I think when you look at depth chart and things of that nature, those explanations are would fall into the normal category. So again, Occam's razor is one of my favorite ways with which to view the world and answer problems. The simplest explanation is often the right one. And the simplest explanation, in my opinion, is that these players still love Kirk Ferentz. They don't feel that Kirk Ferentz was or is a problem along the lines of the things that came out um, this summer, or they had enough respect for him to overcome some things they felt that maybe he should have been aware of and or taken actions on or against. So, yeah, I was surprised, but I think that um, what we haven't seen is encouraging. I want to circle back to to what we were just talking about with the slow start, with the 0-2 start to the season last year. Uh, what things do you really attribute that to? Because it really seemed that, we were very pass heavy those those first few games, and I know without Spencer having you know spring ball, he didn't get as many reps as possible. But we on offense, we looked extremely out of sync and didn't seem to have the balance that we typically do. What what are your thoughts on what you saw those first two games? Yeah, it, it looked like a, a program that forgot or didn't know what its identity was offensively over either 51 or 50 passes against Northwestern for a first year starter. Yeah. In a game that you were ahead by multiple scores 
at one point in time. I can't remember what the halftime score was in a game that you never trailed by any more than what was it, a point or a few. And a kid that was making his second ever start and you're putting that much pressure on him, that was a coaching failure. Brian Ferentz called a very bad game that game. And um, that's one I'm sure that they wish that they had back. You shouldn't put that much pressure on someone that's not ready for it yet. I think Spencer Petrus destroys it in practice. I think he absolutely is scintillating in practice. But then when he gets out onto the field, at least this first year, he can't slow down. It's kind of like Joe Toussaint for most of this year in basketball and last year, out of control, gets too excited, can't pull the reins back and play within himself. And we saw Drew Tate do that a lot in his first year as a starter. But within the game, Drew could find that Zen moment. Chill. The game against uh, Wisconsin, the last game of the season in 2004, he throws two horrible high interceptions over the middle in the first half, which that's what happens when you're too amped up. Your footwork gets bad. Footwork is everything for a quarterback. And then the ball sails on him. So I saw Spencer for the most of the year. It was just inconsistent footwork because – He's going through things too darn fast. George Brett, my all-time favorite baseball player, once said, sometimes you have to try a little easier. And Mm. that's what I hope more than anything Spencer learns between year one and year two. But a key thing to point out, and every former player and coach I've talked with and current coaches that I've listened to say this, the number of reps that Spencer and the entire team, but certainly Spencer, didn't get last spring we're talking thousands. And last summer, we're talking thousands of reps that he didn't have because spring practice was canceled due to COVID-19. And that is an enormous factor. And Spencer looked like somebody who was really raw, really wants to do well, has all the tools in the shed relative to arm strength, all the throws that he can make. He just didn't have the reps and anything in life. I don't care if it's quarterback or what we are doing here. Reps make you better, more polished, more comfortable. When I started doing the John Miller show in 2006 on 1460 Cakes, they gave me a radio show when they shouldn't have. I had a 20-minute opening monologue to fill. Terrified, nightmare, horrible. I was horrible. Now I can talk on my own podcast for 45 minutes without anybody being there with two or three words written down at topics. I'm not saying I'm great at it. I'm just saying it's reps. It's confidence. Spencer missed out a ton. How do you see him transitioning uh, this coming season with fans in the stadium, with him getting amped up and fired up playing? Do you feel like that's going to be another hurdle for him to cross? Could be, but I really think – and believe that he has all the tools in the shed, uh, the toolbox to, to make those throws. He, it, this is not a physical deficiency with him. It's between the ears and maturing and finding that Zen place that I talked about earlier with Drew Tate. And we'll have to find out, but I'm feeling very confident that if he's healthy, he'll be the starting quarterback in Iowa's first game. And I think the reps that he will get this spring season and this normal-ish summer that I think they're going to have will make a huge difference. 
Hopefully. Does, De- does Deuce Hogan stick around? Uh, yeah. I mean, Deuce is uh, a freshman. He's got five, you know, he can redshirt. Um, yeah. I mean, he could be a three-year starter. I mean, how, how, how many three-year starters in a given year do you see at the Big Ten? Yeah. Probably less than 50%. Not two, many. Two-year starters is more common. Three years isn't as common. Four years is highly uncommon. So even to to get a chance to be a two-year starter, um, I, yeah, I think we're a long ways down the road from that. Um, the kid from um, – from Colorado, whose name is escaping me right now, you know, maybe somebody like that, Alex Padilla. Yep. Um, that might be a different discussion because he's a year closer to Spencer, uh, Spencer, Spencer, Petrus in age. But, um, and, and these are, you know, I'm not pushing anybody out. These are duh, obvious. These are real conversations going on, but Deuce has, Deuce could be a three-year starter. Okay, that's just a little bit of a uh, grumblings fans had a little bit, you know, some worry going on that, oh, you know, if he, he doesn't get out and get at the play because he's been a very eccentric, vocal, what you know, outspoken guy. But, it, you know, it's been all positive stuff, too. So um, I think fans have really high hopes for him. And, you know, we, we, we obviously do for, for Spencer as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that those guys are one play away, one injury away from being the starting quarterback. And so I I think we're a good full, you know, I think this, there's going to be a wide open quarterback competition this spring. And as Kirk is fond of saying, you know, Spencer, if you lose the job, shame on you because you're the incumbent. Um, And if it's really close, then that's a different story. But if it's not close, every player on the team knows that it's not close where you get into trouble is when you have a Jake Christensen playing ahead of a Ricky Stanzi when in practice Ricky's the more consistent and better player. But Kirk feeling like he has so much invested in Jake and Ken O'Keefe favoring Ricky Stanzi, and then they start playing this game, we'll play somebody for a half. And that's where you get into trouble and can risk losing a team. And Jake Rudock and C.J. Beathard. I was going to C- ask you about that one specifically. When, C- when CJ can make plays in practice that these guys haven't seen before, Rudock's more steady, but Rudock's ceiling here, the, the rest of the team sees that CJ's ceiling is here, even though he isn't as consistent as steady. The team wants the superstar possibility. It's human nature. Yeah. Uh, moving over to basketball, because, I mean, it's basketball season, so we got to talk about the Hawkeyes uh, going into the Big Ten tournament. You know, th- there's been a lot of inconsistent performances. Uh, this is a different team, but there's been a lot of inconsistent performances in the postseason out of Iowa basketball over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Where do you see this team ending up in the the Big Ten tournament? And how far do you really feel like that they're not necessarily capable of going, but where you see them, how, how far do you see them making it? Well, you know, Big Ten, a lot depends on the injury to Joe Wieskamp, but let's make the assumption for the the NCAA tournament that Wieskamp is 100% and, and can go. I think Iowa, by virtue of winning their last two, last three games, be, beating Ohio State opened up some new possibilities. And then beating, winning their last two games solidified those. I think they're going to be no worse than a two seat now. 
and you know the two seed plays a 15 in the first round and then i think you have you know your your next games against potentially a it's a very very favorable 7-10 in the next round so then you're in the sweet 16 and you only had to beat somebody who was seeded as high as 7th so i think it's really fortuitous for them I think that two C puts them in a really good position. And then in the round of sweet 16, um, you know, maybe you have to face that three, three, three seed. And then the elite eight, you got the one seed to contend with, but boy, wouldn't that be a fun problem to have? So to me, I think with a healthy Wies camp, if this team doesn't make the sweet 16, that's a letdown. If they make the sweet 16 and these things are all a matter of opinion and how you feel is the right answer for you. Um, to me, if Iowa makes a sweet 16, I will feel like this has been a successful season. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, at least an appearance in the, you know, the big 10 tournament championship, because Michigan's one hell of a basketball team, uh, you know, feel like if they at least make it to the end there, then at least hit the sweet 16 to elite eight range, you know, that's, that's my opinion, the, where I would at that point pass in it's straight, straight gravy from there. So I mean, they gotta be, they gotta, means they gotta be Illinois potentially in the semifinals of the big 10 tournament. I mean, if, if, if they have to do that to make you feel good, brother, you might be in for a disappointing weekend. I, th- I think we got Illinois. I think we got them. <laughs> Not They're without a, a healthy Joe Wieskamp. They don't No, No, I agree with that. Absolutely. If, if Joe Wieskamp's healthy, I feel like we're, I think we can win that game. Uh, but they are a great team too. So if we weren't able to get past Illinois, that wouldn't be a shocker as well. Cause they, they are tough, especially what they did without their best player to Michigan. Just that shocked me to have a performance like that in, in that type of situation, being down your best guy. Nobody saw that coming. No, I, I didn't. I had a little action on Michigan that night, and so I certainly didn't see it coming. <laughs> oh, it was wild. Um, before we let you go, um, want to ask you, you have had the luxury of being able to talk to more former, current, uh, players and coaches through all of the different, you know, sports that the University of Iowa puts on the field or on the court. Who are some of the most interesting, oddball, funny characters that you've had the the luxury of being able to talk to? Some guys that you were just like, God, this guy's nuts. Like, you know, you got guys out there that are super interesting, like a Matt Roth, a, a Drew Tate, you know, a Pat Anger, or guys that just really don't care what anyone thinks about them. Well, you know, you just hit the guys that were in my head and that's okay because they're in my head because they are the way they're the setup for the, what you asked. Matt Roth was, um, yeah, that guy was just wired up a little different. There were times where I'm like, okay, I wonder what Matt, if football doesn't work out, what, what Matt, you know, what's he going to do? Um, and he figured things out. But yeah, he was, he was an intense dude. There was one time I asked a question to Drew Tate. You know, it was, I think in the spring of, uh, 03, or maybe it was, maybe it was 04. And you're in media gatherings and it's like 10 arms are reaching in microphones in front of one person's face. And I got long arms. So I'm kind of in the back and I'm looking around for somebody else to interview. And I just am kind of on autopilot and I don't even remember the question that I asked. And there was silence. And it was so awkward. So I looked around and then Drew said something back. Like it was a really smart ass reply that he sure. gave me. Like, dude, what, what kind of question? Something like that. And he was right though. It was a dumb question. Um, but then, um, you know, Reggie Evans, uh, was a very interesting interview. 
um, he would always say big time, big time. And, you know, <laughs> that was kind of a nickname for him. I actually drove, I lived in Kansas city at the time when he was at Coffeyville, Kansas community college, I drove down from Kansas city. I still have the game program where I was taking notes on Reggie's, what I saw in Reggie's game before he had committed to Iowa. I'm old uh, now that I think about that, but um, you know, being around Reggie when, um, he heard the news that he was like suspended um, and he heard about it from the media and not coach Alford. That was a real interesting time. One of my favorite memories though, is of Kyle McCann and it was beneath the bowels of the Alamo dome. Uh, Iowa's victory against Texas Tech in the Alamo bowl back in um, 2001, when after the game, Kirk Ferentz famously and uncharacteristically from the podium said, Hawks are back. Here we go. Uh, and he was right when Nate Kading's in the end zone, you know, directing the orchestra. Um, I'm walking up the tunnel and I'm about 10 paces behind Kyle McCann, who was the quarterback for that game. And he's sitting there whistling and I'm not paying any attention to it. And in the hallway, the, you know, these hallways are about 20 feet wide. So little cars can go through them. The Texas tech players are on their butts on the floor heads and hands. They're inconsolable because they just lost this game. Walking past dozens of them, big guys, obviously football players. It dawns on me about as we're halfway through the tunnel and I still see a bunch of Texas Tech fans ahead that Kyle McCann is whistling deep in the heart of Texas. (laughs) That's what he is whistling. (laughs) Kyle McCann, very reserved Kyle McCann and (laughs) Kyle McCann has been a lawyer for me at times on things since his playing days have been over. And I'm like, Kyle, I was right behind you. Are you going to fess up to me? He just looks at me and it doesn't, doesn't do anything. That's Kyle. He is, I would not want to play poker with him, but he was whistling deep in the heart of Texas, cold, freaking blooded. And I'm a little concerned <laughs> that there's going to be a melee and I'm going to get caught in the middle of this thing. But that's one of my favorite favorite things that never made any you know any headlines highlights just things that you get a chance to see when you're there i thought you were going to tell me that he lifted one of them up and hugged him and you know told him how much respect he had for him or something like that but the deep in the heart of texas that's classic deep in the heart of texas but that night and this was back in my in my drinking days before i gave it up that night at the the hotel bar i mean some of my favorite things about bowl games were getting together the media is all stay at the media hotel and just hanging out in the media hospitality room with all, you know, different, you know, scribes, peers, rivals, but it was so much fun. But that night at the hotel bar, Ed Podolak walks in and it was me and a couple of other guys in the media. And we sat down um, drinking beers with Ed for three or four hours. And I really wish I remembered what was said because <laughs> it because it was amazing and would have filled a book. Ed was telling us stories from his playing days. And, um, and then the next year, I do remember that story, Ed telling me um, after the Orange Bowl the following year that uh, he was on the team bus as the Hawkeyes were pulling into Joe Robbie Stadium or whatever the hell they call it now, Hard Rock, Ugly Place. And uh, all the Iowa fans that were out and – and I was having dinner with Ed before the Orange Bowl down in the bowels of the the, the new Orange Bowl or Joe Robbie Stadium, whatever. And um, 
we're sitting there talking and he's got his big old giant championship ring on from the Kansas city chiefs. And he's just like, John, I've seen a lot of things in this game. This is a horrible Ipodolac, <laughs> but I've never seen anything quite like that. Kind of feel like I'm, I feel like I'm channeling Hulk Hogan brother. Uh, <laughs> but um, in his raspy voice, uh, the tears began to well up in his eyes just from the, the throngs of Iowa Hawkeye fans that lined the bus route that the bus took to come into the stadium. So um, just fun times. It was, it's, it's been a really good ride. I'm not done yet. I'm really excited about HawkeyePodcast.com and what Mark Morehouse and I are going to do. Mark Morehouse has more stories than I do. He and I are going to be, Mark's going to be telling those stories on live videos and then they get turned into a podcast form later. We're going to be doing that uh, every single week. So if you're a Hawkeye fan, um, it's free. What else you got to do? Hope you check it out. I'm definitely going to check it out. It's I think it's going to be a great show, and I'm excited to watch it. And, you know, I've been following you your whole career and have enjoyed watching your journey. And uh, really, uh, you know, Jerry and I and guys that are doing things like you know, this, you know, just everyone starts out as a fan. And hopefully you continue to always be a fan. But um, really look up to what you've done, John, and um, have a ton of respect for you. And we'll continue to follow your career until you decide to – to hang it up someday, but thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down on Nebraska Hawks nest and, you know, tell us about some of your, your life experiences and some of those awesome stories. Well, you're welcome, Adam. And to those of you Hawkeye fans out there in Nebraska, there for whatever reasons brought you to that state. Um, my heart goes out to you, continue to fight the good fight and remind your fellow Husker co-workers that next year is longer than a year away. Six years in a row, let's make it seven. And it's darkest before dawn, and sometimes the dawn never comes. <laughs> hey, I think we're, can we use that for a t-shirt? Is that okay? I think we might have to steal that for a t-shirt. Go ahead. All right, I'm going to steal, steal your intro idea. So that's totally cool. We're just going to, we'll, we'll write something up and we'll just trade. It's all good. All right. all right, John. Thank you so much, man. Have a great rest of the night and go Hawks. Take care.